When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, from heaven, the rush of a violent wind came, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into the truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, because he will take what is mine and declare it to you. And all, the fa- all that the Father has is mine. For this reason, I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. That you would help to silence all of the distractions and all of the things that are going on in our mind now. And Lord, we pray that as we hear your word, and as we hear what's been true for thousands of years, that you would make it fresh and new to us today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. This morning, I, I have a, 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 just a brief teaching, and my plan for this morning is to show you two contrasting stories of how God and the Holy Spirit work in our lives. And so we're going to look at two stories from Scripture And then the third passage we're going to look at is going to kind of tie everything together and help us to understand how the Holy Spirit works. So this this morning, I I won't be preaching out of the New International Version, which is in front of you, so I did provide a PowerPoint for you if you'd like to follow. I'm reading from the New Revised Standard Version. And we pick up the story in Acts chapter 2, where Suzanne read for us this morning our scripture reading. Acts chapter 2. Just to set up the story for you, what we have here, Jesus has resurrected, Jesus showed up to his disciples, Jesus ascended. In essence, the, the Bible tells us that his disciples saw Jesus ascend into the heavens, and then he disappeared. And so what we have is this, this happens after the fact. Um, and the word Pentecost is the word the Bible writers use to talk about this moment in Bible history, where the Holy Spirit actually shows up in a very present way. So I'm going to start reading from Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house, house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. So right here, the story, we have this picture of the disciples, and and the chapter before, they had just said how they they had added one because Judas had betrayed Jesus. He would then go on to end his life because he felt bad. And so they were, there was 11 disciples, they were down one, and so they voted, they cast lots, and they felt that the Holy Spirit led them to pick, I believe it was Matthias, I might be wrong, <laughs> I, should, I, I know I read that this morning, but anyway, so they added a 12th disciple, they were there in prayer, they were waiting, Jesus had promised that the Holy Spirit would come to them, 
And so they're waiting in this room, and out of nowhere, this, this imagery that the, picture, the, the Bible writers paint is it says, it was divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them, and all of them were able to now start speaking different languages. Now, some people like to stop here and say, this is what it means to speak in tongues, right? Where, you know, oftentimes when we think of the Holy Spirit, and I forgot to put the picture on the PowerPoint, still sitting on my desktop, but it's a picture of the televangelists, right? The, the guy with the white hair, I think his name is Benny Hinn, and you go, and, and, and the people come up to him who perhaps are in wheelchairs or haven't been able to walk, and he says, the Holy Spirit's coming, he's healing, so he puts their hand, and then he kind of like is the channel by which God uses them, and, and so we oftentimes think that the Holy Spirit works like that. You know, we, we often think that the Holy Spirit has to show up in some magnificent ways. I'm not, I'm not endorsing that that's how the Spirit works. I'm saying that in our society, that's kind of when, when we think of the Holy Spirit, we, we kind of think of, like, we don't really touch it. The Holy Spirit is like the middle child of the Trinity. We, we don't really know how to talk about the Holy Spirit. Have you ever noticed that if somebody tells you that the Holy Spirit talked to them, or that the Holy Spirit said something to them, wh what do we do? We kind of take a step back and kind of listen for what they're about to say. Isn't that what we do? Because we're not used to hearing people say that the Holy Spirit spoke to them. It isn't up until the last 150 years that theologians and scholars have actually done more work and writing about the Holy Spirit. So even though the Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, for thousands of years, people didn't really talk about it. They didn't really write about it. They didn't explore how the Holy Spirit works because it was such a foreign idea. Even today, we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit works or how the Spirit of God works. But in the book of Acts, what we find is that it worked in a very physical and tangible and very present manner. And all of a sudden, started speaking in different languages. Now, there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound, the crowd gathered and was bewildered because each one of them heard them speaking in the native language of each other. So they weren't just talking in some sort of gibberish or some sort of you know, language that nobody understood, but the Bible writers make it clear that when these disciples, they started speaking in different languages, they were actually being understood by the different people. It's like going to the mall today, and you have people from every part of every nation, and in one given place, you could probably find people that speak you know, China, or Mandarin or Spanish or English or whatever other languages are all around. So it would be today's equivalent of a, of a group of men being at the mall and everyone all of a sudden understanding them in their own language. And so it continues. Amazed and astonished, these people asked, Are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of, a, we hear each of us in our own native tongue? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia... Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, so people who had converted, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. So God doesn't just give the, this power to speak in different languages just so that people could feel moral and superior. God doesn't give these, these disciples gifts just so that they can lord it over other believers, but rather the purpose that they were given this gift here 
is so that they could speak about the mighty deeds and the power of God. In essence, God was empowering them to do evangelism. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are all filled with wine. That's a Bible way of saying, They are all drunk. To which, in the next chapter, Peter replies, We're not drunk. It's only nine in the morning. You'll get that joke later. Bible joke, not David, Pastor Dave joke. <laughs> but he's saying, No. We look at these stories and we think that the Holy Spirit has to work like that. Now, I don't know for any of you and your experience of faith, but I've never experienced the Holy Spirit working like this. I wish the Holy Spirit worked like this in my life. I wish that we can be sitting in a place and we can actually see something physical and tangible. Because the truth is, how many of you have ever seen God, like physically, in front of you? The way you see me or the way you see someone sitting around you? I don't think any of us have. So if we were to see something spectacular and magnificent as we just read in the Bible, it would be a whole lot easier for us to believe, wouldn't it? And we want God to work like that, and we ask God to work like that, and we pray and we ask, and we want to live this kind of faith so that we can see it. But the truth is, is that even though we see these stories in the Bible with this tangible, this tangible picture of God, it isn't always the way you and I experience faith. For us, generally, when we think about how God encounters us, what is it? It's usually us looking back, and as we're telling our story of the situations that we've experienced, it's God. We know God surely was there. But I wish that we could actually see this physical, tangible presence of God. So that's story number one. And I want to contrast that with a different kind of story. And so if, you, if you'll read along with me, we're reading a story that is pretty well known. And the story, and, and here's what's happening before I, before I read that. And here's what's happening. The prophet Elijah is a prophet of God, right? He had just had a face-off with 450 prophets of Baal. So in essence, Elijah, the prophet of God, he challenges 450 prophets of Baal. Regardless of who they were, it was one against 450. And the story goes, in case you don't know it, that Elijah says, okay, Either God is God or Baal is God. And we're going to decide today. And so the face-off, the challenge was this. Each one of them, the 450 against the one of Elijah, was going to set up an altar. They were going to put an animal on there to sacrifice. But they weren't going to burn it like the normal custom was. Instead, they were going to pray. And if, the, and if Baal was real, this, this other god of the land, then he would send fire from heaven and consume it. And so it says that for days and for days they... The prophets of Baal, they prayed, they cried, they danced. The Bible says they started cutting themselves, kind of sacrificing themselves so that Baal would send fire from heaven. And nothing happens. And so then Elijah, being the, the showman that he was, I suppose, he not, only, he not only made the altar and he put the animal on there, but then he put water all over the altar because it's harder to burn something that's wet, right? That's just normal, you know, science. Not only that, he puts, he digs like a moat around the altar, and so there's just water. It's drenched in water, and he prays, and God answers. So now, all of a sudden, he's, he becomes an enemy to this entire nation, right? So he's running for his life, and he comes and he hides in a cave. 
And, and in a sense, there was a part of the story where Elijah just wants to die because the queen says, I am, I'm basically coming after and killing you. So Elijah just does all this awesome stuff for the Lord. He stands up to 450 men. He stands up to his entire nation. And then he's on the run because they are after him. And here's where the story picks up while he's hiding in a cave. At that place, Elijah came to a cave and spent the night there. Then the word of the Lord came to him, saying, What are you doing here, Elijah? He answered, I have been very zealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the Israelites have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I alone am left, and they are seeking my life to take it away. So God says, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Now there was a great wind, so strong that it was splitting mountains and breaking rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Oh, no, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. <laughs> I erased that slide. Um, verse 12, and after the earthquake, a fire... But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of sheer silence. Other Bible translations say there was a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle, went out, and stood at the entrance of the cave, because he knew that God was present. So many of us want to live in the story of Acts where God shows up in this magnificent and marvelous and glamorous way. So many of us want to be able to experience God in these fantastic ways. But the truth is, is that for most of us, we don't experience God that way, but rather we experience God in a much more subtle way. We experience God much as the same way as Elijah did, where when God speaks, he speaks in the sheer silence of a moment. I was just talking to a friend of mine, and she was ta she was ta I was talking about how I was going to be preaching about this, and she explained to me how she was once in a class, and the professor says, I bet not very many of you can just sit in silence without a cell phone, without the television. I mean, just sit somewhere for 10 minutes and just not worry about anything else but just be present. I mean, how many of you are able to really do that? It's hard enough for us to pray for 5 minutes or even 10 minutes. But even in prayer, what we're doing is we're talking to God. But I, I, I would wonder, and I would, I would challenge you, and I would ask you, when was the last time you just kind of stood and sat and listened for what God is trying to say? How many of you have friends who talk a lot? Any of you? And they talk and talk and talk and talk, and they never stop talking, and you can't really get a word in edgewise, right? Some of you are like, I don't have that friend. That's because it's you. <laughs> But the truth is, is when we're, in a, when we're having a conversation, but we're not saying anything, is that really a conversation? If the other person can't speak, it's not a conversation, it's just a monologue. And what we do in prayer often is just a monologue. We're just like dumping everything on God, and God's like probably waiting for his turn to talk, and then we say, and in, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. And then we get up and we go about our day, and God's like, I never got to say anything. I once spent um, two weekends in um, what's called a spiritual retreat in which we would spend these long times of silence. 
where, and, and, and it wasn't just in silence, but you could take your Bible and you could focus on a Bible verse and repeat the Bible verse or just kind of read scripture. But it was up in, it was at Pine Springs Ranch. So it was during the time where internet was sketchy. So you couldn't get internet on your phone if you wanted to. Um, there was no cell phone reception, so you couldn't make any phone calls. So your phone was useless. Your laptop was useless. So all you had was old school technology of a Bible, like a printed page Bible. And you could go anywhere on the mountain. You could go, you could go to your room, wherever it was, and you would sit there. And I believe one of them was a three-hour long moment of, of, in essence, silence. You couldn't team up with someone and have a Bible study. You had to go by yourself and just try to hear God speak to you. Now, I don't know if God spoke or didn't, but I can tell you that coming away from this intense moment of just being and trying to be open to the presence of God without just talking all of the time, there was a sense of peace and there was a sense of clarity on a matter that I was going through at the time where I, I had no doubt that God somehow in his infinite wisdom and in his own creative way was able to speak to me. If you look at your day, for most of you, you wake up in the morning, maybe you do your morning devotional, but even sometimes our morning devotionals are rushed. Why? Because we have to get where? To work. And we have to have jobs because we have to get money to be able to pay the bills. You know, and sometimes we'll say, well, during lunchtime, I'll spend about half an hour and I'll spend time reading, you know, reading scripture then. But what happens when it comes to lunchtime? You're hungry, you want to hang out with your coworkers because we're communal people, we're relational, so we like hanging out with people and we like eating together. Is it really the, the first thing on your mind after working an eight-hour to 12-hour shift to come home and read scripture, honestly? Probably for 90% of you, that's 99% of us, that's probably not what we want to do. At the end of a long day, we want to come home, and if you have kids, you have to do homework, you have to do television watch, you know, or not television, not have to do television watching, you have to do homework, you have to feed them. After all of that is done, you know, you put the kids to sleep, and maybe you finally have some time alone, and you can either just spend time with your husband or your wife, or you can watch television, whatever it is, but our days are so filled with, with so many things that we have to do, and are also filled with distractions that it, we rarely have time to just be present to God. And so what we do is we come to church once a week because we feel like somehow, in some way, God is going to be more present here. And in some ways, that's true. God is present here when you are worshiping, when you are silencing everything, you know. And, and I know for some of you, it's hard to even silence your cell phones in church because, you know, especially right now, the World Cup's going on, and I don't know if your team is playing, but in the back of my head, it's like, is, wait, is Team USA playing today? Or, you know, all these things, and tennis is going on, and what other sports going on right now? There's something else. Basketball playoffs. The Kings just won, I think, yesterday. I mean, so there's so much just sports alone, and I'm not even a sports guy very much, just a tiny bit. But even my head is constantly distracted on something else. So for us to think about spending uninterrupted quiet time with God, it's, it's something that's noble and something we'd like to do, but to actually do it in practice is oftentimes difficult. But the truth is, is that with all of these things in our lives and all of these distractions and and even the things we have to do, it's really hard to listen to the voice of God because we don't just make the time. We would rather go to and fro and do all of the things we have to do because we have to work and we have to study and we have to see our boyfriends and our girlfriends and we have to go on date nights with our husbands and wives. All good things, by the way. <laughs> 
husband, don't tell your wife, I'm not taking you on date night because I have to do my Bible study. Like, God has entrusted you to a family, so make sure you spend time and go on your date nights and all that. Don't ever use Bible study as an excuse. But if you allow yourself to be led by these distractions and the have-to things in your life, you will never make time to just spend in the presence of God because there's always going to be something that has to get done. But unless you make it an intentional effort to spend time in the presence of God, and I mean through Bible study, through reading Scripture, or even just through sitting there quietly, actually turning off your phone, turning off the television, turning off the radio, and just sitting there and asking God, okay, God, I do all the talking. Will you now speak to me? I guarantee you that you will hear God speak to you in that sheer silence. God won't always show up in like tongues of fire. In fact, he may never show up like that to you. But I can guarantee you that if you take those moments of just that quiet solitude, the Bible tells us that Jesus would wake up while it was still dark and go off to a place by himself so that he could spend time in prayer. Jesus, God in the form of man, even God spends time fortifying himself in prayer. And if that's not enough, I don't know, I can't, that's the best I got this morning. The moment, and if you start earlier in the day, it will only make your day better. Now, I've said this before, just because you read your Bible in the morning and pray doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen. Amen? Bad things are going to happen regardless of, of whether you start Bible study in the morning or not. But what this will do is it will center you on the one who gives life, on the one who sustains you, and on the one who will get you through when the bad things do happen. Psalm 43, 46 rather, verse 10 says this, Be still and know that I am God. We are always, I mean, I think most of us, in a sense, are, are, we like to be able to control the things that happen in our lives. We want to be able to have a hand in everything that we do. And what ends up happening is that while we're trying to have both hands on the steering wheel of our life, we edge God out of it and we put God in the back seat and we just say, God, when we need you, then we'll ask you. But if you can do a paradigm shift in your life where you can actually put God at the center of your life, it will change everything. If you truly have God at the center of your life, it will change everything. But if you have God as just a part of your life, as the part of your life that you go to when you're in trouble or when you're having a bad day, God can only do so much in those little bits of times that we give him. But if you can make him the center of everything that you do, it will have an immense impact on your life. And so the last passage I want to share with us this morning is part of the, well, there's the other part, is um, what um, Suzanne read for us this morning. And this is Jesus talking to his disciples, and he says this, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own, but will speak whatever he hears, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. The way I've kind of understood this, and, and don't like quote me on this, but the way that makes sense in my mind, in my very small, finite human mind, 
is that God as Father shows up in the, New, in the Old Testament in a very tangible way, kind of in physical representations, right? In the cloud, in the fire, in the winds, in the earthquakes, through the prophets. God was tangible speaking to us. In the New Testament, specifically in the Gospels, we see God as Jesus, right? As human being. And after Jesus, or before Jesus ascends to heaven, he tells his disciples that the Holy Spirit will come. And what we see here is that this Spirit will lead you into all the truth that you need. And so in my limited frame of mind, because I haven't seen God as Father, and I haven't seen Jesus in the flesh, I can grasp that God as Holy Spirit, as the very Spirit and presence of God, is all around us all the time, everywhere. And so we don't just have to come to church to get a feeling of Jesus. I, I hate the metaphor, and I know we've heard it before, and, and I apologize if you've made this metaphor, but I just vehemently disagree. We don't come to church to fill our cup. We don't come to church to, to get something for the rest of the week because a, cup of, a full cup of water only lasts a couple of big gulps. And by the time Tuesday comes, you've already drank up all of the God you need because God knows that we live in times where we, I mean, unexpected obstacles come up all the time. Just drive on the five freeway at any given time of the day, right? So that, that, that feeling of God, you know, it goes out easily. We don't come to church to fill our cup. In a sense, we come to church to empty it because the hope is that you've been filling yourself with God every single day. And when we come to this place, it's not to ask God for more, but it's to empty all of our thanks and praise and thanksgiving to God and say, thank you, God, for being the God who has taken care of me all week long. I know that's a, that, 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 that to some of you, it's like, no, nah, that doesn't make sense, Pastor. That's, that's why you're only 32, you know, come back in eight years kind of thing, you know. But theologically and biblically, we don't come to church to get filled up. You do get a blessing by being here. You do get filled up, but that's not why you come. Like, in God's goodness and grace and in his fatherliness, God, God you know, wants us here. And as we worship, as we're giving back to God, in the, in, the, in the act of giving back to God, in God's grace, he gives back to us. But that's not the reason we want to come to church. We want to come to church so that we can, in one voice, worship the God who is worthy to be worshipped. Church is a great time for us, but it should only be one part of making every single day God central to your life. And so I want to challenge you, and I want to end with this, that the Holy Spirit is still speaking to us, but the only way that you're going to hear the Holy Spirit speaking clearest is when you actually take the time to silence the distractions in your hearts and in your minds. It's why I always pray that prayer, that we give God permission to silence all of these things in our heads. Because if we are left to our own will and our own power to do things, we may never make that time for God. Because we have so many things, and as human beings, we think that everything we have to do is of the utmost importance, and if we don't do it, then the world isn't going to keep spinning. But the truth is, is that whether you do or don't do things, the world is going to keep spinning. We have a beginning and we have an end. We have a very short time on this earth. And so my challenge to you is that you would allow God to be the center of your life here because God promised that he would give you an abundant life. But the only way that you can have access to that is if you are intentionally opening up yourself to the presence of God. And it doesn't just happen here. It happens everywhere because this is God's world. And God is, not, God is not present 
anywhere. Not, not present. God is present everywhere. <laughs> there isn't a place God isn't, because this is his world. And it's just us that have to open our eyes and learn to see that God is there always. Thank you.